Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week, we're joined by Jacob Haddad, who is the co-founder of Accurex. They're a leading platform helping patients and healthcare professionals communicate. They've raised over £30 million from venture, and incredibly, 98% of general practices use them. But apparently, it all started in a rundown hospital in Houston. We are super excited to have you on the show and really get stuck in, buddy. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. And th yeah, thanks so much for having me. How are you doing? Very good. Um, we've been waiting a long time to do this. We really want to get into your head, you know, figure out how you've built this. Um, so let's start with this, you know, is it a rumor? Is it true about this rundown hospital in Eastern Road, which is literally down the road from me because I live in Camden, right? So tell us about that and how it all started for you. So, so well, the, hosp the hospital's been knocked down for what was meant to be HS2. I don't know if it will ever, oh. <laughs> ever be a, if it will ever sort of come to exist. Um, so yeah, but that was our first office space. We wanted to have our own space. We didn't want to sort of be in a, in a co-working space. It was the old temperance hospital. Um, and we had about probably 16 square meters where day one of moving in, we had to cut out all this pipe work and my hair oh my caught God. fire from the spark. So like that was a, uh, it was a great space. It sort of, <laughs> yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, we were working on something very different at the time, though. So when we initially started, um, we were focused on antibiotic prescribing and reducing inappropriate use of antibiotics. Obviously, uh, resistance is a, a huge sort of existential threat, not sort of, it is an existential threat to modern medicine um, in a way that sort of we all know, but we sort of forget about day to day, but you know, without it, without effective antibiotics, we can't do safe surgery, deliver babies safely, transplants, cancer treatment. Um, so that's what we started out on. But about, eight, we built some incredible stuff, but about 18 months in, we were just struggling, struggling, struggling to get any traction. And, and, and that's when we pivoted. So, so the company name comes from AccuRx, like prescription. Um, that, that's where our roots were in, uh, in Houston. Incredible. Just before we talk about that pivot, I had a look at your LinkedIn profile and I couldn't see much clinical stuff. So tell us about this journey into trying to solve a healthcare problem. And antibiotic resistance is like a niche thing where you'd think you're the microbiologist. Um, you've done a bit of consulting. You know, how do you discover or stumble upon a problem like this? Um. So I've been fascinated with healthcare for a long time and did the whole like, oh, should I go and do medicine? Or should I switch to medicine? Should I go and do graduate medicine? But I was very lucky in my, I did an engineering degree and I ended up spending the last year basically tinkering in the hospital, doing quality improvement and process improvement. So um, a lot of that was in things like, well, a lot of it was in neurod, specifically on the Sabarac pathway, but some of it was in secondary to tertiary referrals and some of it was in like how the dispensary runs and things like that and got the bug there like you just walk into hospital and you're you're like tripping over inefficiency that yeah. is just nobody's really got the time and headspace to solve um and then when it came to yeah what do i want to work on i took i think it was about maybe 50 different challenges from how do we discharge patients on time? And how do we manage type 2 diabetes? Well, like all these, all these different things. And went, okay, what is like the biggest, biggest, biggest sort of most existential challenge? And and this floated to the top because of what I said earlier. And that you know, all mm. of modern medicine relies on access to effective antibiotics. And kind of to your point, yeah, the problem is it is seen as this quite niche thing, right? It's, it's this big externality. It's like climate change of the... the yeah. The downside of not prescribing sits here and me now is sort of the patient and, and, and me and my decision. Whereas, uh, sorry, the, the upside sits, sits here and me now, and the downside is like borne by society decades down the line. Um, now, at least with climate change, there's a bunch of incentives like carbon tax credits and regulation and things like yeah. that to, to internalize that externality. Um, that doesn't yet really exist with, with antibiotic use. Um, mm. So there's a big, uh, pipeline problem of there aren't the economic incentives to develop new antibiotics but there's also a big problem in that how they are used is pretty finger in the air it's pretty sort of what i learned x you know x years ago as a medical student or um mm. it's not really based on data it's not based on like 
uh, okay, these are our local resistance patterns. And this is if a patient's expected to benefit or not based on data of previous patients in the past. Like, like I guess quite a lot of medicine is, it, it, you know, it, it's not based on data in that way. Um, but yeah, that's why we started there. No, incredible. Um, Jake, so, Jacob, yeah. so how did you then unearth the problem of communications? How do you move from antibiotics into your current product? Take us through that journey. Was it was not it was not an overnight thing. It was not obvious at the start, as things rarely are. Um, there were two, I would say, key insights, particularly like looking back in hindsight. So, so one of them, one of them was when we went and demoed our antibiotic decision support software, which went through and gave a recommendation of it isn't antibiotic indicated, and then it had a formula of if it is indicated. Um, what which antibiotic and doing clever stuff looking at the patient's medical records look at their renal function like all these things to work out based on all the different sets of guidelines what um what uh what antibiotic what dose what duration um, and then at, right at the end we asked gps oh, if you if you don't give a patient antibiotic um how do you like what do you if you know they don't need one like how do you manage that conversation and we were told oh, I, I like to give them a leaflet so they don't feel like they're going empty-handed and they feel like they're sort of they're seeking medical attention being validated but okay cool we can do print out leaflet we can make it personalized put their name on top and why not just try and like as what was it at the time 2016 we can send it by sms as a sort of like mm. um extra bit of functionality so we did that and when we demoed our software there was a moment where they went through and they hit save to record and some advice, the, the summary of the consultation went into the medical record and at basically the same time, almost exactly the same time, their phone would ping because we always demoed it with like a GP's mobile number as a, to, to, to show them. And it would say, you know, here's a link with some advice and what, there would be some stock advice for like UTI and um, uh, sore throat and things like that. But they'd also, they could add a line at the top. And it was like this moment of witchcraft that we'd got stuff into EMS, the GP's EHR, mm. and onto their phone at the same time was like, so that was like, I a, a think we should have like lent in too soon. That, that, was, that was the first signal. The second one, we were struggling to get usage. Like if we had, I think like five uses in a day, it was like a really, really good day. This is like summer 2017. And we had a few super users who used us, even though it was probably like, not that helpful like they already knew the guidelines really well and what to prescribe and doing the right thing but we had one of them who stopped using us and when we went and asked him gp and harringay and we said how come you stopped using us they said um i don't see these patients anymore and we were like oh that's really odd but if you stop seeing patients with acute otitis media and stop seeing these patients with um sore throats and utis and cysts said, no, I, um, they still come, but they see the nurse now. Oh, how come, how come they've moved? Oh, because the nurse feels really comfortable dealing with them because they've got this decision support. Can we have that for other minor ailments? And so when we pivoted, we thought that's what we were going to focus on. Um, mm -hmm. There's been for years a big push on the multidisciplinary team, well, across healthcare, but particularly in general practice uh, and shifting skill mix and using all, you know, using AMPs and paramedics and physician associates and, um, pharmacists and all these different roles um but in practice it's quite hard to do in practice what happens a lot of the time is a gp practice gets you know adds a pharmacist to the team and they pick up loads of really really good work and they're doing meds reviews and um they're doing some chronic disease management but actually they're not shifting a lot of the things that are currently hitting gps and that's because of challenges like when that patient gets in touch how do you make sure they're booked to the right place how do you make sure you've got the right capacity of those skills and that those staff have the right training so that they're working at the top of their um, capabilities. So that's what we thought we were going to focus on when we pivoted. And we went and spent, uh, we have this goal of, can we make two GP practices dependent on us? And not dependent in like a malicious sense, just dependent in so much more efficient that they you can't function, mm. you know, they, they need to keep using us. Um, and we learned two things quite quickly. One was that three months, yeah, you know, it quickly became six months. And the second was that two was too many. We need to just focus on one. <laughs> and so we we would spend three or four days a week in this brilliant and very, very welcome practice, welcoming practice in Oxford called Manor Surgery on the side of the um, JR site. And 
go there and just do these unscalable experiments, so intentionally unscalable around how they uh, understand demand and reception team and when they need more people on and how they manage knowledge in the practice around like who can do what procedures and where to book things to, what's a signpost locally. And probably the coolest thing I think we did was shift the wait for a routine appointment from two weeks to two days, oh, kind mm-hmm. of overnight by just rebalancing their appointment book and how much was routine and and how much was on the day and, and flattening the on the day um so that it was it, it it was more in line with that actual demand um it's a really really cool stuff and after about six months we're like this there's, there's so much to solve um one company is not going to solve all of this because you could go and just focus on managing you know asthma and CAPD really well you could go and focus on um, you know, rostering, um, but like, what what is the like common thread underpinning all of this? Um, and there was a there was a bit of I remember the moment in I think it was June 26, 2017, 2018, sorry, of clocking it, where it was like, hang on, all these challenges are communication challenges. Mm, We'd yeah. sit in consultations where a patient would come in and they'd seen a consultant in the hospital and they'd say. I've seen a consultant, they've start, told me to start this new medication. Can you prescribe it? And the GP would be like, uh, yeah, but the letter's not here yet. Do you know what the medication is? And then they sort of get, I think it starts with a T. I'm trying to guess what it is. Or we'd be sitting on the reception and would have a paramedic call in who says, I'm with this patient. Can I speak to the usual GP? Or can you tell me what their care plan is? And then they'd be sort of running around the practice trying to work out if that GP's even in the building today. And just like time and time again, what we saw was like the underlying challenges were communication ones of like, uh, it's for some reason it's normal in healthcare. We say to a patient, like, I'm going to make a referral. And if you don't hear in two weeks time, like get in touch with, like it would be like Amazon saying, like, if you don't get your parcel, like get in touch with us, like it's a normal thing for it to happen. Um, And so that's when we were like, hang on, these are all underpinned by communication challenges and from that point, everyone we speak to on the front line, like what when we ask them, what did you do today? They say, I had to make a referral, I had to coordinate someone's care, I had to get them in for bloods, I had to coordinate their discharge, I had to you know, get a second opinion. It is all communication. Um, mm. And it wasn't that way 50 years ago. 50 years ago, you went to see a doctor, they told you what to do. It was this knowledge industry. It was mm. delivered by individuals. The patient wasn't really involved. There was no need to communicate. Um, Fast forward to now, we've made all these great advances in medicine. We have all these different organizations with different specialties and different roles. They cannot work together in an integrated way if they can't communicate. We cannot empower the patient if we cannot easily communicate with them. And the only way to interact is by getting them for an appointment or dictating a letter. And so that's why we're so, so focused on this this communication Mm -hmm. challenge and not just digitizing existing communication, because that's sort of like level one. Um, mm. And we've, we've been doing a bunch of that. It's a great way in. But actually using communication to redesign how a lot of care is delivered. And that sounds like a big grandiose thing. Some of it's really, really simple. It's like, if a patient's test results are normal, do they come in for an appointment to tell them that? Or do we, or, or phone appointment, whatever. Or do we just tell them asynchronously and they don't need to come in? Which sounds yeah. like a really small nuance, but it's actually... Uh, an enormous productivity difference and patient experience difference. Like mm. we, you need to get past this idea that patients always, you know, more appointments equals better. And they always want to come in and have more appointments. Lots of patients, like they, they also want, when they need, uh, you know, assistance, when they need help, they, you know, they want to be able to get that in a timely way, but they don't want to be waiting around for a phone call for half a day or traveling in for, you know, at a day and time they didn't even pick. Um, yeah, to, uh, you know, to an appointment to be told something they could have been told over over a message. Hmm. Awesome. You mentioned something about signals um, and not spotting it earlier. What advice would you give when you are a startup founder? You're building this company. You're so driven on solving a particular problem. How do you know when you should double down on a signal? Oh, this is so hard because I've thought a, a lot about. Do I regret going us going down the antibiotic route? And, and the answer is no, because it got us to here. Would I have loved to go down that route faster? And instead of it taking 18 months, it took six months. Absolutely. 
What's really, really hard about it, though, is you could say, okay, well, if you're not seeing traction or something, basically pivot sooner. And there's Hmm. definitely merit in that. The flip side to that is some of our most successful things we didn't see traction in for quite a while. And if we would have pivoted sooner, we never would have we never would have landed mm. on it. So it's really hard to say. Um, I do think just, I, if I had, but if I, yeah, if, if I had to try and pick on one thing, it would, I think be really indexing on like, where are the moments of like delight and joy and where you feel like you're really like actually solving a problem and like, not just sort of people saying, oh yeah, that, you know, that would be useful, but like, they actually see it and you just you can feel it from the way they interact and they're like oh amazing and you know how can yeah. i use it for this and how can i why does it work that way that's that doesn't make sense like when people actually get 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 really engaged invested in, in the success of it i would say leaning into that sooner having clear hypotheses so one of the things that encouraged us to pivot was saying like maybe we're just not good enough at selling there's a lot of rubbish offer out there that does get sold we're just not good enough at selling let's go and meet 10 i think it was ccg oh, it was ccgs at the time and try and sell and we did that and we were like mm, still haven't really made any traction and i don't think if we spent you know even if we cracked usage and our software actually reduced inappropriate prescribing which is another big assumption could we could we sell mm, probably not so so probably using like high some good like hypothesis led thinking and trying to disprove things in the yeah. early stage some of it is just gut feel and like yeah. Um, yeah. It's. I wish there were an easy answer, but like, <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Um, Jacob, I want to zoom in onto that zero to one moment, right? So a lot of our listeners, they'll come up with a product, they'll come up with an experiment, and you talked about getting it into a GP practice, a single GP practice to run those experiments. The problem is a lot of people will now start thinking, well, how do we even get it into that first one? What did you have to do to? get yours into a place and start experimenting so we had a demo and we went around and showed this to gps and we do that and get their feedback and come back and prove it and and naturally from that we um generated some general interest um both for gps actually with the medicines management team in the ccg who are responsible for prescribing who arranged for us to demo to a room of gps Um, and we gave a terrible demo like we got there and a we had a 20 minute slot and everything was running late. So we had like five minutes and there was a VGA cable to plug in that we couldn't, we didn't have anything to connect it to like all this stuff. um, But there was loads of interest from practices. So we were like, um, okay, there's something here, probably the messaging bit um, that, that, that got people interested. Look, our first GP practice we installed in, um, and I'll be forever grateful for that to them because, you know, we, that zero one moment you are entirely reliant on having some innovators who are going to take the, that first leap of faith and we installed uh, we, we drove to their, their, their practice meetings were at 8 a.m in the morning um and we drove to oxford in what turns out was hurricane doris uh oh, wow. got there went to install uh, and this is the first time we're ever installing, like we demoed the software to lots of GPs, but the first time we're ever installing on their computers and integrating with Unison mm. Live. And of the five computers we installed on, three of their smart card readers just stopped working. Um, <laughs> and it was now like 8.20 in the morning, 8.30 in the morning, the, the waiting room's filling up with patients. And this is the first time we've ever installed our software on our users' computers. And like we basically broken their computers, they can prescribe, they can refer, <laughs> they can sign into their HR. Um, and you know, we, we stayed there and managed to resolve it and it still took a few hours, but uh, yeah. And there were lots of lessons from that. But one that I always tell the team is like, we could have spent another year perfecting our decision support and our install process and how we do, uh, you know, set up and how we integrate with the record and like all these different mm-hmm. things we would not have hit that issue until we actually got it in a user's yeah. hands on their computer. Now, would I have rather we did that at 6 p.m. In the, you know, at the end of the day rather than um, first thing in the morning? 100%. Uh, <laughs> but I think there is also just this, like, it, it's a reminder of one I tell the team, probably don't tell them enough, of like, 
you have to just get stuff out there. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that's, I guess, in some sense, it's easier. It's harder when you're small because you don't have a reputation for people to trust you. It's also easier when you're small because you don't have a reputation to mess up. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, forever grateful to those, like, early early adopters um, who, um, you know, took a, you, you know, Gave, gave us their trust and let, let, let us uh, sort of make those make those first mistakes and, and learn. Mm. Um, a lot of the first practices just came from the, each practice we spoke to, okay, who else, like, who else do you know? Who else can we go and demo to? And that was all before we pivoted. When we pivoted, uh, there were, and this is not necessarily the first few. This is then, okay, how do we go from, I think it was 19 practices up. Mm. There were only two things that worked. Um, the first thing that worked was getting uh, sending letters to practices with a handwritten post-it note on saying, like, try this. I can't remember what it was. Like, try this free software. Something like that. Where we just sent a leaflet fly on the post. It didn't work. We tried online ads and advertising in different, like, trade publications. Like, all sorts of different things. The only thing that worked that got some sort of seeds was that. Mm -hmm. um, like we couldn't do that many of them couldn't afford all the stamps um and then the second thing was I mean, it sounds really obvious in hindsight but it was not how software grows in healthcare is user to user referrals so we had yeah um uh that was basically our entire sort of growth mechanic was users telling other users and we did things in the product to drive that as well so yeah. Early, early practices will remember we when, when we first built messaging we thought it was going to be entirely for sending advice so in antibiotic land that's what the messaging was for sending some mm. uh, advice at the end of an appointment and we knew one of the problems was that was only useful four percent of the time so four percent of the gp appointments were for these self-limiting sort of minor ailment infections where where advice was useful Therefore, it's not routine. Like, how do we, the analogy I always use is, um, we, we, we need to be tooth, toothbrushing, not dental flossing. Like, everyone knows they're meant to floss. No one does because it's not in their routine, but we brush our teeth because it's part of our routine. So how can we be useful for every patient that, that comes in? Um, so let's have advice for all the conditions. Um, at the time that it was NHS Choices, now NHS.UK, there was no API, so we had to scrape the whole website. And we, we just took all the page titles, put them in a dropdown and, and, and added that, that link in. Um, what we quite quickly found was that advice was not the most useful. Yeah, like some people sent it, but it was like the really, really proactive um, clinicians were like, I've seen you, I've dealt with your thing. And just to like give you that extra, you know, improvement on patient experience i'm also going to send you this link by sms most people just don't have even if they want to they don't have the time to do that even though mm. it's, it's, it's we've made it quick but what we quickly found is we were being used to say um your prescription's ready to collect or this letter's ready it's at reception or i tried to call you but it's from an unknown number i'm going to try calling again please pick up or like all these mm -hmm. different things that we can you know your test results novel. Your vitamin D is uh, a bit low. Can you go to the pharmacy and buy some over the counter? Um, and then the challenge was, well, how do we get other people to see that value? Because when we spoke to a lot of practices, like, yes, we grew, but like most of them said no. Most of them were like, mm. this has to come from CCGIT. Um, why? You know, I've never heard of it. We don't need this. We're like, mm. we don't need to send messages. Um, or like, we already have mjog or iplato for batch messaging and appointment reminders we don't need to send individual messages and so we had to ex like articulate the, the value and the way we did that was create some templates of some of those examples i just listed less for time saving of templates more for like discovery um mm. and then users came and said okay these templates are helpful now i want to create my own um so yeah. we said well um we can go and build that while we've got you do you know any other practices who aren't using us who might want to? And they were like, absolutely. I know this practice down the road, this practice, we're like, great. Once you've got them on, we'll, we'll get, we'll make sure you've got templates. So we went away and built mm. that. Oh, wow. that worked. So they, they told the practice down the road. Um, and then what happened a few weeks later is all those users came and said, well, all, a handful of them came and said, but quite, quite a, a, a significant handful 
that you know, I've gone and built some templates. Thank you. This has been great. We were like, yeah, no, thanks for the referral. That's also been really helpful for us. Um, now my colleagues have seen my templates and they really want to use them. Can you let us create templates <laughs> for the whole practice? And we said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you know any more practices who aren't using us? Yeah, this one, this one. Great. If you can get one of them signed up, we'll go away and build team templates. And we did. Um, and then turned it on for them. And that was basically, there's like a kink in our growth chart in May 2018, which was when we started doing that. And the way the way we grew was through turning on templates, individual user templates after one referral and mm. team templates after two referrals. Um, that drove a lot of that, drove a lot of that growth. And there's like, there was similar similar thing we had around how do you go from like one or two users in the practice to 10 plus users. It was the same sort of thing of like finding a, a sort of valuable enough feature that, um, that but the, the, you could still use the product without it, but it, you know people really wanted it and saying, cool, once you've got 10 users who, who've, who've um, sent five or more messages, you, you, you can have that. Um, mm, which is in, in, incredible. You know, now, last time I read on the website, 98% of GP practices use Acurex, which is incredible. Tell us how you as a leader have changed you know, from that one, two startups and how has Acrex as a startup, as an organization changed? So, um, 98% of GPs is both, a, of GP practices is both a, it's a great stat I'm very proud of and we should be very proud of. It's also what it was three years ago. And so like, we can't rest on past success like success is a has to be a habit not an act um and so what we it was about 55 percent before covid and then and then went up very very quickly um and we sort of rolled out a lot of functionality at the, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic and uh that, that that helped drive that um how has the company changed how have i changed um so going into covid we were 28 people nearly 30 people um and we grew a lot um and so we went from a team where everyone was wearing many many hats yeah we were all mm. answering user support tickets and we were all going out and um you know getting practices set up and i was cooking lunch for the team once a week and like we were doing like we were all <laughs> all wearing many many hats and it still feels like that to an extent but it's far far more specialized like mm. i used to, me and my, my co-founder Lawrence used to do all the hiring whereas now we have a great talent team who does the hiring and you know you could take that example into lots of things like how we do finance yeah. how we do design like we had uh beginning of covid we'd only just hired our first designer um so so, so we've got a lot more of these Specialty. Um, the team's grown very fast. And I think what will get us into the next chapter. So yeah, 98% GP practices is, is cool, but our vision is for everyone involved in our patient's care to be able to communicate with each other. So we need not just 98% of GP practices, but 98% of district nursing teams and yeah. cardiology teams and MSK services mm. and like the whole, the whole spread of the system um, using us. And so... I think now we're actually at a point where we're going back to a lot of our original routes, which is like spend more time with users. Yeah. You user like intuition will be more scrappy. Um, I personally, I'm actually went from being in all the details and like heavily, particularly product, but more generally to like, we grew a lot and had lots of you know people, uh, you know, running different products and, we split into two different like business units, one for GP and hospital. Um, and now actually going back to trying to be in a lot more of the details and um, uh, decisions and, and, and closer to that, because we're, we're, we're in some senses, like a bit of a strange company um, in that we've got this sort of stable and successful core product in general practice. Mm. Um but then we're also trying to do zero to one and, uh, you know, find product market fit in maternity services and in like yeah. transforming 
operating theatre productivity through communication and like all these different parts of parts of the health system. So we're like a bit of an odd company in that sense. And it's quite it's quite hard to solve zero to one challenges with a lot of people. Um, it's yeah. quite hard to solve zero to one challenges with like um, our sort of usual, like the sort of usual, usual business as usual motions. You need to be like a lot more scrappy and like experimental yeah. and um, things like that. So that's, say so that's how things are changing at the moment. Oh, incredible. Recently, uh, you know, it's been a while now, you know, at one day we, we found a, a message on our WhatsApp groups about the induction situation, Acris went and, you know, acquired them. Tell us about, you know, what was the play there? What did you want to do? Is it to get further penetration into secondary care? Uh, and, you know, what does that all kind of look like for you moving forward? So, yeah, we, we acquired induction switch um, around this summer. Yeah. Um, and we did say for a couple of reasons. I think the first thing to say is we saw a lot of parallels with our early product, i.e. it's grown bottom up and self-service. Yeah. It hasn't been sort of imposed or sort of launched top down and like everyone's told, you know, mandated as well. But it hasn't been mandated top down. It's used to go and picked up because it's useful and it makes their life easier. Um people when they talk about it speak very positively about it um you know unlike probably almost all other healthcare software there are a few exceptions but like people yeah users tend to really really like it um its value is you know just as like our you know we go through our users like you know the crowdsourcing nature of it is is brilliant i was surprised when we sort of lifted the hood on the, the quality of the content is so good. And I thought, oh, there must be a team actually curating a lot of this behind the scenes. Actually, no, it's like entirely crowdsourced. That was you know, really, really impressive. So, so it's, it's a great app. Um, it has really high penetration, adoption, usage. Um, and it's super aligned with what we're doing, which is communication. Mm. Right? We, we don't want to touch rostering or prescribing yeah. or being the appointment book or anything like that, we want to just really, really focus on communication. So it's it's nice and aligned in, in that sense. Um, there's a bunch of challenges, like it's relatively transactional. So so yeah. people go in, find the number and then call the number or call that bleep. You know, there's still all the challenges we need to solve around like, oh, how do we know this user is actually part of this organization? And let forget just this organization. How do we know they're actually part of this service and which team they're part mm. of? And, so there's loads and loads, loads to go and solve. Um, but for us, what it should let us do is put communication superpowers in the pocket of each clinician where any patient that's in front of them, whether in person or they're looking at them on a, another system, they can contact the patient. And not just one way, like have, you know, have an asynchronous consultation or collect some inform structured information from the patient. They can contact that patient's GP, they can see who else is involved in that patient's care and communicate with them, they can pull the patient's GP record. Um, they're like, it is the um, the place to go to communicate with, with and about patients. So that's, that's some of what we're trying to do with it. Where we've started is a lot of more housekeeping of, okay, how do we make sure that everyone who has access to it is meant to have access to it? How hmm. do we migrate and merge some some of our tech stack thing, things like that so we've got to do some of that before we can i think do do what i think is the really exciting and innovative things and there'll be a lot of experimentation there'll be a lot of surfacing some of the functionality we have in our web product into induction switch and seeing what's most useful for users how do they use it how do they go and innovate with it and and, and you know work, work in different ways that's that's a, that's the plan there. Yeah, no, Amazing. I think a lot of people are saying it was a genius move. So so hold well on that. And you're right, induction was super helpful and continues to remain as a go-to for lots of clinicians that are on the shop floor per se. Oh, thank. You. Well, let's let's see how it plays. It's sort of early days, and that's all. Yeah, I've given the story. Now we need to actually but go and deliver it. <laughs> no, of course. Um, J Jacob, I want to talk a little bit about fundraising, right? Um, so yeah. in terms of fundraising, right, when should startup founders consider fundraising? And when they do fundraise, what's a good strategy? And 
once you've raised some funds, what is it that fundraising does for a startup? Apart from obviously money for a salary, what does it actually do for a startup? Um, so I guess it boils down to there are different ways to build a company. If I take a step back from just healthcare, there is yep. a, one way is you bootstrap. And so you, you mm. go and you are charging right from the get-go um, for like a very basic product and using the revenue from that to, to build the development of the subsequent product. Um, there is a notion in the sort of product tech sphere that your product is only worth what people are willing to pay for it. And like, if no one's paying, like, you don't have product market fit. Um, I don't think that is true in healthcare. It was not true in our case. Like we had basically no revenue until April, 2021, but, but all the GPs using us. So I think it'd be hard to say there was no value. We probably could have charged something, but we didn't want to, you know, focus on that too early and be like restricting features. We were much more focused on, mm. on building out features. Um, and having funding let us do that. Um, actually, yeah. what helped us first, we got some very, very early funding from the accelerator that we started on. Then we also got right at the beginning a couple of Innovate UK grants, which are great. And the whole point of Innovate UK, like government grant funding, is to de-risk companies and technology to the point where it is investable through like private investors, like VC investors. And that's exactly what it did for us, right? If if we didn't have that funding, we probably just wouldn't exist. Um, mm. Is the reality? Um, and what that funding did is is let us get to a point of traction where we could where we could raise investment. Um, we have been selective with and, and and clear with our investors that like we've got this very big and important mission of fixing communication in healthcare that is going to take quite you know, that will take time healthcare moves slowly this hasn't been done before there is no like two year version where we solve it and um, and so we've had to be very very clear on that um what funding let us do is grow the team build out more products i mean it's basically that we're we're not like some tech businesses put a lot of money into like customer acquisition you know more b2c businesses customer acquisition ad costs like we don't have that it's mm. try and put as much as possible into product and yeah. then like servicing our users whether that's support or whether that's our sort of go-to-market operations there is a risk so, so the risk with funding is not obviously there's the dilution but there is a danger and i think this is less of a challenge now than than two you know two to three years ago um at the height of the market but like there's a danger that if you have you know a decent amount of money when you have a hammer everything's a nail and so you try and solve every problem by mm. going and hiring someone to work on it or like you know throwing money at it where often um you know, some of our best innovations came from being incredibly incredibly constrained um and so we we didn't have a choice but to we didn't have a choice but to grow through GP to GP referrals because we had no budget to go and do marketing yeah. and go to these like trade shows and whatever. And it turned out that was a very, very effective way to grow, almost certainly more effective than the, the traditional things you would spend money on. Uh, and there's like Absolutely. literally 101 examples of that. So I think that's the, that's the danger is like, how do you raise money so that you can take risky bets and you, you can take things that will take time to demonstrate and prove? Because often like the bar is quite... Not just the bar is quite high in, in healthcare, but like, because in some senses the bar's low because people are used to, used to terrible software. But the, the table stakes are quite high, and what I mean by that is the 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 level of you know how you handle privacy or security or like what features you need to have like some basic level of adoption. There's quite a lot to build in a way that there mm. isn't always another. Like the reason there's. Um, you know, so many, uh, I don't know, ride-sharing competitors or grocery delivery competitors is, yeah, there's a whole ops piece to solve, but actually the technical barriers are, a lot of them are solved. You, there's an app store for deploying, there's Twilio for notifications, there's Stripe for payments, there's, um, yeah. you know, Google is your mapping layer. None of that exists in healthcare. 
Um, and so it takes quite a while to build a lot of those things. And that's where the, the funding is super helpful. Um, mm. And then to your question around, you know, what else beyond the funding? Um, you know, what we've, we've had, the main thing we've had is investors who really believe in and support the mission. So I think they've, at times we'll ask, you know, try and probe and ask challenging, challenging questions, but in general, they are there to you know, trust uh, us and, you know, in, in some of the big strategic bets. And then, you know, have been very helpful with specific challenges we go to them with, like, Ah, we when we raise the series, we've suddenly grown the team a lot. So, like, how do we approach hiring? And that's the thing yeah. we're running some of them. And one of the biggest benefits is the other portfolio companies that that they invest in, and and who all have even the different sectors, but like very very similar challenges around like growing a growing company. Hmm. That's incredible, um, and it makes sense. Tell us a bit more. I read a report about kind of you know improving access for patients, working with GPs, and you mentioned it earlier about you know. When it comes to communicating patients, they don't necessarily always need to come in for an appointment just to find that a test result was positive or negative. Tell us a bit more about this report, where it stems from, and, and how you're actually helping these GP practices. So 2018 to 2021, let's call it, um, a lot of that was making people's life, life easier, but through like little efficiency improvements here and there. So instead of even needing to, um, uh, you know, call up, I can I can send this message and that saves me five minutes. So I can let this patient know that this is ready to collect, whatever it is, like small efficiency improvements. Um, and those are super valuable. And we get like heartwarming feedback from our users around how that, you know, lets them get home on time to put their kids to bed and, and, and things like that. Really, really hard to value in the system because the the reality is the whole health system runs on unpaid overtime. And so if you save yeah. every member of the workforce an hour a day, you kind of still need just as many people. Um, yeah. It's a bit more nuanced than that, but like it, it's very, very hard to realize the benefits of, of time sharing. It, it, it's incredibly important. It's one of the things I'm proudest of that we do. But what we're now trying to do is 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 go the next level up in terms of efficiency. And that is because communication is more efficient, how can patients move around the system more effectively? So yeah. how can we make sure that the right patients are being referred um, and reducing appropriate referrals? Or how can we make sure that theatres are used all the time rather than um, you know sitting empty because an ops being cancelled because a patient didn't stop their warfarin on time? Um, and so because of our, our, um, our, our coverage in general practice, what we've been really focused on is how can we help practices tackle this challenge of like the GP workforce is falling um, and patient demand on general practice is, is rising for a whole bunch of factors living longer, multi-morbidity, expectations rising, like some of it's just latent demand that's always been there, but it just hasn't really been surfaced and just gets sort of capped at 8.30 when all the appointments are gone, but it's now yeah. actually surfaced much, surfaced much better. Um, so how can communication actually, not just like make things a bit more efficient on the fringes, but like change the operating model to a much more efficient one? If we take a step back, in every health system around the world, healthcare spending is growing much faster than inflation. Um, yeah. It's growing as a proportion of GDP. Um, and one of the biggest, if not the biggest driver for that is healthcare has not seen productivity gains that other sectors have seen. And you should be really clear what I mean by that. I don't mean that like people aren't working incredibly hard because they are. I see it. My wife's a doctor. We, I see it with every sort of GP practice I go and visit. But the system... It does not allow you know those, those productivity gains. If you look at how the finance sector or the retail sector or the travel sector worked fifty years ago, or mm. agricultural manufacturing versus today, yeah. there are a few sectors. So healthcare, education is another. Um, creative arts is is another where there haven't been productivity gains. Fifty years ago, a twenty minute appointment with the GP took twenty minutes. Today, a twenty minute appointment with the GP takes twenty minutes. Zero productivity yeah. gain. And so what that does is because 
because you have productivity gains in some sectors, that pushes up. And I'm probably getting too into the weeds of health economics now, but like that yeah. pushes up um, prices in healthcare much faster. Um, so the only way to break that is to find productivity gains. Now, what have we seen? What we've seen over the last three years is there is a cohort of practices, and it's relatively small, that is bucking the trend of overwhelm and, you know, this just never-ending demand where it constantly feels like they're drowning, and they're on top of it, and they're like, they're not just sort of more productive, but they're, they're happier, their patients are happier. Yeah. Um, um, so what we've, what we've been doing over the past six months to a year, really, is going and understanding what is it about how they work and how they're using, not just how they're using us, but how they've actually changed their model of care delivery that's made them um, uh, more productive, deliver a better patient experience, have a better staff experience. Um, and there are a lot of parts to it, but what it all boils down to, to put it in a sort of medical speak, is like, how do you move the appointment from being a first line intervention, whether it's face-to-face -face or remote, how do you move from the appointment being a first-line intervention to being a second-line intervention? And first-line, yeah, we yeah. try and solve as much as we can intravenously and we'll, we'll triage it. Um, and so what we see about, um, you know, in this cohort of you know, a few hundred practices is they've basically torn up the appointment book. Um, everything that comes in, whether it is phone, NHS app, through the practice website, or, or walk-in, Patient gets asked the same set of questions. That's sort of basic history, a bit of um, concerns and expectations, um, and that gets triaged by a GP who can then say, "Ah, let's signpost them to the pharmacy. Ah, this is great. Our ANP can deal with this. Ah, I'm just going to deal with this now because it takes less than two minutes, and just mm. order that script or you know ask that patient for a photo of their rash so I can review it, whatever it is. Um, or oh, actually, you see this patient." send them a link, they can pick a time that suits them and, and book straight in. Um, and so that's the sort of the basis of the, the total triage model or the modern general practice model. It's like all demand goes into one, one queue of work that is triaged. It's not just everyone gets an appointment. It's that is reviewed by a, a clinician, um, usually a GP, to work out what is the, the most effective way of, of dealing with that. Um, and so now we're trying to roll that out across far more practices. So yes, we have this amazing general practice coverage, but it's not just about them using our features. It's about them getting the most out of them and sharing yeah. best practices from other practices. So we, 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 our aim is by um, end of March, so end of Q1 next year, to have a thousand GP practices running this total triage model using us. And so there's a range of things we're doing, linking them up with other practices, doing like developed a, a range of training resources um, and a, a package of like implementation support for practices. So a range of things that we're, we're doing for those practices to, to achieve that. Mm. And, I, yeah. and I agree with that. And I think with increasing demands, the most logical, sensible thing is, is this triage. The last question before we wrap up is when you have this great of a penetration and patients and healthcare professionals communicating, you know, I'm instantly thinking about AI and chatbots and, you know, patients asking, you know, the Acres software app, you know, reply back to SMS, you know, with their health conditions. Is that something you've explored, thinking about, or where is AI fitting into what you're building now? Or is it just a hype? Um, yeah, a bit of both. Um, <laughs> is there a role for AI in, like, improving product productivity, you know, patient experience, all these things? 100% better on that. What exactly that will look like and what form it will take and when it will happen, I think that's a lot more tricky. Um, mm. So there are areas we are looking at. My approach on it is let's, if I take the driverless car analogy, it's like we want to keep the driver in the seat, i.e. the clinician making the decisions. We're not trying to replace them. But we want to give them parking sensors, the lane departure warning, the cruise yeah. control, the sat-nav, all the things that make their job easier, safer, more productive. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. So there's a lot we need to do around like recommending and like being assistive 
so that it's so much when we go and watch clinician it's like watching them a vid play a video game of like they've got to order this x-ray and that's you know a relatively like routine thing to do like okay order this chest x-ray and they've got to go through like 38 different clips and like three different screens and like pdf this thing and then send it to the send it over there to do that and it's like that adds zero value it just sucks up a load of time and is error prone um what 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 we do want is that gp deciding this patient needs a chest x-ray and, and you know we can even suggest that and say based on their yeah. presentation persistent cough um you know do you want to order a chest x-ray but then let's make it one or two clips um i think where there is hype is this idea that like patients will talk to a chatbot and it will diagnose them <laughs> yeah for like a few reasons one it's not just like a liability and indemnity nightmare it, it, it it's it's also just you basically have a choice which is do we want to be very defensive and have a low threshold to turn you know to escalate in which case you get the 111 problem of just sending everyone to a yeah. and e or whatever or booking everyone in yeah. for an appointment and you just overwhelm the system you know or do we want to have a much higher threshold in which case you will miss some things because the the reality reality of uh you know healthcare is there are some you know serious but rare presentations hidden amongst lots of seemingly innocuous things um and even if you miss things at a lower rate than humans would and i don't think the technology is there but even if that is you know, were the case and i think that is possible who's on the hook like uh um, yeah. so i think there's a liability problem but there's another one that doesn't get talked about which is um Patients want to be told that want to be told sort of what to do, an opinion by a person. It doesn't necessarily need to be an appointment. Um, I had this experience yeah. myself a few years ago where um, I had what turned out to be shingles, and I went through yeah. symptom checker, Babylon symptom checker, and it said it's likely a re allergic reaction to cosmetics, um, and I. And even if it was an allergic reaction to cosmetics, I wasn't really satisfied with being told that by an algorithm. I wanted to be told it by a person. And so I just went yeah. to, you know, to, to get a GP consultation to be told that by a person. And it turns out it was shingles. Um, so, so, but I think <laughs> even if the technology is good enough, we like healthcare is just like incredibly human and two physiologically yeah. identical individuals might want completely different things. And so much of being a great clinician is picking up on the little cues and the things the patient's not saying and giving them that pause to when they, you know, the door handle moments, all of, all of that and helping, you know, helping set goals with patients and then helping patients reach those goals. Like chatbots aren't going to do that. Um, so is there a role? Yes. Oh, exploring how it can help. Yes. Is there also a lot of hype? Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, that's incredible. Thank you for answering that in a very, fluid way and covering both aspects of it. And I do agree a big aspect of medicine is that human touch, the human element. And, and I don't think anyone would be too happy when we kind of obliterate that. Um, but no, we've talked about a lot of stuff, you know, from fundraising, you know, from your rundown hospital to your current offices, which I've been to, which look amazing. Um, but no, thank you, Jacob, for taking the time out. There's been a lot of value in here. Um, so thank you and a massive thank you to all our listeners as well who tuned in this week thanks so much Absalom Amazon yeah really enjoyed it um, and yeah you're welcome back back to I, I miss being in a rundown office it's, it's, it's a bit too, too, too <laughs> nice yeah I, I really enjoyed it thank you for having me nice thank you